Imagine taking your generosity to the next level, impacting more lives and leaving a godly legacy for generations to come. Get ideas and strategies to do just that when you listen to these personal stories from high-level kingdom champions. The Kingdom Investor Podcast showcases business leaders who have moved from success to significance, sharing how they use worldly wealth for kingdom impact. Discover how they grew in generosity, impacted more lives, and built godly legacies. You'll find motivation, inspiration, and practical steps to grow as a kingdom investor. Hello, and welcome to the Kingdom Investor Podcast. This is your host, Daniel White. Thanks for joining us as we interview Pete Oaks. Pete is the founder of Capital Three, an impact investment company with investments in the U.S. and Central America. He started Enterprise Stewardship as an initiative that equips marketplace leaders with the resources to transform their personal lives and their business enterprises. Pete has over 40 years of experience operating businesses in energy, manufacturing, banking, and the education sector, oftentimes focusing on areas devoid of human flourishing. Pete's passion is to educate equip and empower business leaders around the world to live for something greater than themselves by using their business as a platform to impact the world for Christ. If you have enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on LinkedIn, and share with your friends. And now, without further ado, let's get right into the show. Hello, Pete Oaks. Welcome to the Kingdom Investor Podcast. How are you doing today? Daniel, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm excited to hear your story and to share it with our listeners. Would you just maybe start out with a little bit about yourself and and just give us a little context? Sure. So I'm uh, born and raised a Kansas farm kid. And uh, that was a great life. I didn't realize what a great life that was until I kind of got away from it. But uh, it was a simple life, uh, you know, kind of the proverbial faith, family and friends thing. And I, I just really didn't understand how blessed I was to be raised in that environment. Had two great parents. Uh, went to college. I was going to be a dentist. Took a business class to figure out how I was going to invest all the money I was going to make as a dentist. And about two weeks into that class, I said, uh, I, I, I'm not going to be a dentist. I'm a business guy. So um, I changed majors. I got out of business school, went to work in a um, uh, family bank in Wichita, Kansas, did that for eight years. And then uh, uh, I had this entrepreneurial itch and I have had it for a long time. Actually, at the age of 25, I wrote my first personal plan. And in that plan, I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur by the time I was 30. So when I turned 29, I reviewed my plan every year. And I remember sitting down with my wife and said, you know, Deb, we've got 12 months to kind of figure this thing out. And about nine months later, I started our own little investment banking company. We did that for 20 years. And then uh, that was from like the early 80s to 2000, 2002. And uh, God used several things during that time period to really change me and mold me. And then the early 2000s, we exited the uh, investment banking business. We had purchased a number of companies uh, 10 years prior to that. And I said, we're just going to focus in on 
running these companies to the glory of God. And so that's really what we've done for the last uh, 20 years. Wow, that's that's incredible. So what is maybe uh, what is one thing that you're passionate about or a project that you're really excited about right now that you're doing just to kind of put, uh, get us in your world a little bit? Yes. So uh, I left the I left the day to day operations of the businesses. Um, we we really have three. We have two manufacturing companies, and then we have a run of river hydroelectric company. We build hydroelectric projects in Honduras. And I left the uh, day to day operations of those three businesses five years ago. And uh, in leaving, I've got a son that had been with me a number of years, and he was ready to take the reins, and I was ready to really uh, move on. I love spending time with young entrepreneurs. That's really my passion. And so for the last three or four years, I've essentially taken all of the things that we have done in our businesses and tried to codify those into an operating system that we could share with other businesses to say, this is how we do business, uh, which we think is a little different than most businesses do it. And uh, we've we codified that into an operating system for businesses. And so we launched a, a coaching company last summer. And so I'm now helping uh, business people think differently about business. What is that called? Uh, the name of the company is called Enterprise Stewardship. We believe, I really believe that we are stewards and not owners. And I would really... Uh, it's a management philosophy and operating system, and it really works. The reason we use the word enterprise is that we've used it for nonprofits. Uh, it works in families. It, and it works in businesses. I, I just think the system works in whatever organization you have. So that's why we call it enterprise stewardship. And we have two programs inside of that, one called High Impact Life, which is really a personal transformation study. And then we have High Impact Business, which is really uh, a fairly rigorous coaching process that we take companies through. All right. So this is, uh, this is really good. I'm, I'm taking notes already. So I want to dive into some of these things, but before we do, do you mind praying for us? I'd be glad to do that. Father God, we're grateful for another day you've given us. Lord, I thank you for this thing you've got, uh, given us called business. And the, uh, thank you for the ability that we can work with our hands, that we can glorify you in doing that. And uh, Lord, I would just pray that um, whoever's listening out there today, if they're in business, that you would uh, convict all of us that this platform you've given us is a huge opportunity to uh, not only create um, financial capital, but to create social and spiritual capital as well. And so, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to do that and bless our time and our conversation. And we pray these things in your great and gracious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. So I want to jump back to uh, something that I saw in your bio on LinkedIn. And it says that you are a faith-driven entrepreneur interested in helping others create economical, economic, social, and spiritual capital. Could you unpack that a little bit? You bet. So the prevailing wisdom is that the purpose of business is to, is to maximize shareholder value. Milton Friedman, the famous economist, won a Nobel Prize on that very fact that uh, the purpose of business is to create or to maximize shareholder value. Uh, 
I believe that the purpose of business is to be a catalyst for flourishing. So I think we need to define flourishing. I think there's that term is thrown around quite a bit nowadays, and it's a terrific term. We all want to flourish. But how do we define that? And I think it's best defined in Genesis 2, 15 through 18. In verse 15, it says, uh, uh, you know, God put man in the garden to work. And when you work, the first thing you are going to have is, the, or the first thing, what you will do is the, your first need to flourish, and that's material provision. So when you work, you'll have material, you'll have food, clothing, shelter, material provision. Second thing he gave us in verse 18, it's not good for man to be alone. I think the second thing we all need are deep, authentic relationships. And the third thing we need in verse 16 and 17, he said, by the way, don't eat the fruit of that tree over there because then you'll know the difference between good and evil. I think it's the, I think it's the first time God gave us a moral code in some sense. It's, he gave us a purpose for living, and that was to honor and glorify him. So if you take what you need to flourish in very simple terms is a good job, good friends, and Jesus. We put fancy terminology on that and call that economic, social, and spiritual capital. Mm -hmm. That's really good. That's very powerful. So would you, would you share a little bit more about your backstory and kind of your journey into faith-driven investing and faith-driven entrepreneurship? Yes. So, Daniel, I would say that um, for the first 40 years of my life, uh, I, at 30, remember, I went from the banking business to working for myself and, and in the investment banking business. The first two or three years of that was really, really tough. But we finally got some traction and, and had some success uh, as we were moving into that. Ten years into that journey at the age of 40, God really did a number on me. We had a, uh, we'd made our first acquisition. It was a bank that was in trouble. And uh, I was in there suing people, repossessing assets, doing whatever I needed to do to get the bank back on track. I was countersued by one of our customers. And when I took the lawsuit to my attorney, he said, you've lost. You are going to lose everything that you've ever worked for. He said, the, the man that owned the bank before you did violated a number of lending rules and you bought the stock of the bank. So you inherited all his liabilities. I said, no, justice has to prevail. Let's carry this thing out. So we started depositions. I was spending $8,000 a day. Five days into depositions, I came to the stark realization that uh, I was not going to win. In my quiet time that morning, I was reading um, Proverbs 6, and the Oaks version of Proverbs 6 says, if you've gotten yourself in a jam, go humble yourself and beg to get out of the jam. So at the end of the depositions on that Friday, I went to the man that was suing me. I knew him. He wasn't a good friend, but I knew him. And I said, Lynn, uh, uh, could I talk? Could I meet with you over the weekend and talk about this lawsuit? His attorney was standing there, gave us permission to do that. So Sunday afternoon, two o'clock, I went to Lynn's office, sat down. He came in a little bit and was a bit grumpy, I will say. And he said, well, what, what do you want? I get up out of my chair. I walk over. I get down on my knees in front of his desk. And I said, Lynn, I'm a Christian. Um, I have to tell you, I was reading in my quiet time. Friday morning says, if you've gotten yourself in a jam, go humble yourself and beg to get out of the jam. This, you have me in a jam. This lawsuit will break me. I will go broke. And so I'm begging you, please let me out. As I finished 
speaking to him, uh, he began to weep almost uncontrollably. He said, Pete, uh, I became a Christian 30 days ago, and I knew this lawsuit was wrong, but I didn't know how to get out of it. In 10 minutes, we had the lawsuit settled. And I will just tell you, Daniel, I think for the first time in my life, I understood, you see, I had bifurcated my life as so many business people do. We have our business life and we have our Christian life. And we we do we do those separately. We kind of go to church and we're the nice guy on Sunday, but boy, come Monday morning at 6 a.m., we get the game face on and we're ready for bear. And I I for the first time I really understood the power of God's word. So I started reading God's word from a business perspective. Every time I picked up God's word, I said, Lord, what speak to me today in what I'm reading? Give me some. Um, thought or wisdom based on business. And oh my goodness, for the first time in my life, God's word just came alive to me. And every every chapter I read had concepts that I could apply to business. So I just started writing those down and codifying those. Over the next 10 years, um, uh, unfortunately, I mistook financial generosity with stewardship. About the time I went through that thing with the lawsuit, I also came to understand the difference between ownership and stewardship, which was huge for me. Unfortunately, I thought stewardship was financial generosity. So we just made as much money as we could. We did the buy and flip thing, the leverage buyout. We'd buy companies, put a little down, run them four or five years, flip them, make money. I'd give the stock away. We'd go again. We had two or three of these going at a time. 9-11 rolled around and all of this great flow of money, all of this great flow of generosity ceased. And I said, God, don't you, under, don't you understand what I've done for you? <laughs> and uh, it didn't take but a week or so to figure out that, it, you know, he wanted me, not my money. So at that point in time, we really said we're going to try to do business differently. And that's where we, probably four or five years prior to that, we'd started talking about economic, social, and spiritual capital. We started defining values. And that's where we've really put this whole system into place. And I would say two defining moments, that lawsuit and then 9-11. God took me from the first 40, I would say, I would pursuing success, holding on tightly to the things Pete had achieved at 40, uh, to moving to significance, holding on lightly so God could use them. But at 9-11, God really took me from significance to surrender. Uh, he said, take everything you have, put it on the table, push it in, it's mine, use it and steward it for me. And, you know, I, I would love to tell you that I live a surrendered life all the time. Unfortunately, I'm not very good at that. <laughs> I'm, I, don't, I don't pursue success very much. I'm really good at being significant. But where I think God has really used me and has shown me how he can use me is when I live that surrendered life. That's good. So looking back over your life, what are three things that you would recommend that somebody never does and three things that they always do? Maybe start with the always do first. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Just, you just got to get in God's word. Uh, And that is really hard for me because I'm such a doer. I'm not a very good beer. Okay. 
it's it's tough for me to I think we become, you know, when we get in God's word, when we're really in meditation and uh, just um abiding in him, as it were. I think that's the being part. I'm a doer, so I want to jump out of bed and start doing. But I think that is so, one, critical to getting God's word. Uh, number two, I think uh, prayer is such an important thing. Uh, I think our pursuit of truth is measured by the time we spend in God's word. I think our pursuit of faith is measured by the amount of time we spend on our knees. And the more time I spend on my knees, the, the easier my life is. And the third thing, I just think um, to have somebody walk alongside you, accountability. I think we all need a running buddy. Uh, I think that's really, really important. So, uh, you know, being in God's word and prayer, I do believe that thinking through your life in the term of a, I'm a big planner. I've made a plan, a personal plan every year of my life since 25. And it's been fun to go back and read those and look at those. Uh, and uh, I think it's the way God lets you kind of look at a uh, repicture where you are and kind of step back from the, the crush of life and say, what should I really be doing? So God's word and prayer, I think personal planning and a, what I would call a running buddy and accountability partner are three things you ought to do. Um, on the don'ts. The biggest failure I've made in life is I think I have confused my platform with my purpose. Those of us, particularly in business, we think that our purpose is business. No, our, our platform is business. Our purpose is to glorify God. And whenever I confuse those two, I talk to a lot of young guys. They call me and they're 30, 35 years old. They're not satisfied. They're uh, saying, what? What, you know, Pete, I think I need to change jobs. Well, I ask them, what, what's your, you know, what's your purpose in life? Well, it's to have a good job and make a difference. And no, no, your purpose in life is to glorify God. I think understand your purpose, which is to glorify God, because your purpose will drive your passions. And for me, I think there are really three passions that we all need to have. We need to serve people. We need to be excellent. We need to be good stewards. Those should be our passions. And when your purpose and your passion align, your platform is simply the venue God's given you to live out your purpose and your passions. I don't think God cares what you do, but he cares deeply about why and how you do it. I think he gives you the freedom to, to be a podcaster, to be a business guy, to, to be an entrepreneur, to be a wife or a husband, whatever. He doesn't care what you do, but he cares deeply about how and why you do it. I think we get so caught up on the what instead of the why that it uh, it creates some issues there. So don't confuse your platform and your purpose. Um, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. You know, humility, boy, that's a tough thing, but we all need a good dose of it. And... Uh, uh, don't, don't hold grudges. I mean, it is so easy just to hold a grudge on a little thing. And I think you just have to give that to God and say, you know, and grudges can be, you know, in business, I hold grudges against my competitors. I'll see a competitor do something. Well, I'm mad about it. No, you know, I, 
that guy, God created us. He made us as co-creators with him, right? And so anything we see in life, whether it's a competitor or whatever, that lifts society, that makes things better. That's why I'm such a big believer in capitalism. But um, yeah, just don't hold grudges. And I think encourage people the best we can. So. So can you talk more about enterprise stewardship and just maybe some of the things that you start sharing with uh, these business owners that you mentor and, and lead? And uh, what are some of the things that you, sh- you start with kind of as yeah, foundational? Exactly. So I, I think there are probably three things that make up this whole uh, philosophy of enterprise stewardship. The first I talked about, and that's uh, the purpose of business. I believe you need to understand the purpose of business is to be a catalyst for flourishing. You need to you need to figure out not only how to make money, but how to impact families, impact the community you your business is in, and then you also need to figure out how to winsomely share the the gospel. So I think that's the starting point. Number one. The second thing that we talk about in enterprise stewardship is understanding the four disciplines of business. And those four answer the four most important questions in the world. Why, who, how, and what? Why am I in business? We call that your purpose. You have to understand why you're in business. And I think it's to honor honor God, glorify God. But why am I in business? That's my purpose of business, and that's to honor God. The second question, who am I serving? That has to do with the strategy of business. Unless you are solving a problem for someone, you don't have a business, okay? So you really need to understand that strategy question. The third question is, how am I serving? That's the whole operational piece. And the fourth question is, what's my impact? And that's execution. So the four disciplines that come out of those four questions are why my purpose, who am I serving, my strategy, how am I serving, operations, and what's my impact, execution. So those are that's kind of the second thing we want to focus on in business to make sure you're, you've got those four disciplines really going. And then the third thing is... Uh, What are the drivers of business? You can have those four disciplines, but what are the things that drive action into each of one of those? So if you could just imagine in your mind a four by four matrix on the right hand side, which is the purpose of business, which is, you know, really to uh, be a catalyst for flourishing, creating economic, social and spiritual capital. And then this four by four matrix across the top, you have the disciplines. That would be purpose, strategy, operations, and execution. And then going down the left-hand side, the next four on the four-by-four are what we would call the drivers. And so the four drivers of business are principles, starting at the top, then people, then practices, and then performance. And those are really important because principles define people. People determine practices and practices drive performance. So if you now have this four by four matrix with the four disciplines across the top, the four drivers down the left-hand side, and if you just fill in those boxes, it will will show you 
the framework for how I think you ought to operate business. Wow! In fact, you could you could go to uh, you could go to enterprisestewardship.com and that framework's on there. And uh, folks that are listening could could get a. Uh, there's several videos on there, and we explain how that all works. Excellent. Yeah, that's super helpful. Could you maybe give an example of how you have implemented that framework in the businesses that you run? Yes, absolutely. So uh, one thing that's interesting about our business is because we want to, because our purpose is to be a catalyst for flourishing, we tend to target businesses that are, uh, we can employ the folks that are kind of the least in the world. So we uh, we have a business called Seat King and Electrics. We actually have two different businesses. Both one of those is in a maximum security prison and one of those is partially in a medium security prison. So on any given day, we employ 300 inmates in a maximum security prison. Literally, we have 125,000 square feet in these prisons and we we send 25 or 30 civilians into that prison every day and, and these guys work for us. So how do we give them economic capital? The first thing we do is we give them a good job. Most of the time, if you're an inmate or a resident in a, a maximum security prison, you will work, but they'll pay you about a dollar a day. You'll make license tags or furniture or clothing for the other inmates, et cetera. We pay fair market value wages. You know, we probably start at 12 or $13 an hour and go to $25 an hour. So one, we give them a good job. That's the first thing of flourishing. The second thing we do, social capital, we 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 try to fulfill the, sec, uh, the, the great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see, social capital is really about loving your neighbors yourself. So we treat these men not as murderers and rapists and drug dealers, but we treat them as folks that need to be redeemed by the, the love of Jesus. And so uh, it's amazing when you give somebody a good job and you love them, you respect them, you treat them with respect, that you, you lead with economic capital, you follow with social capital and the doors to spiritual capital uncannily fly open. So at that point in time, They'll say, well, why are you doing this? And so we typically have, um, no, we'll have 40 or 50 of our residents that are in the maximum security prison come to Christ on an annual basis. We do, we do lots of things for social capital. We have 15,000 hours of online training. You can get a black belt in lean manufacturing. You can have fathering classes. You can uh, take uh, business classes, entrepreneurship classes. We started a seminary in the prison, so we've got, uh, we're going to graduate 23 men from seminary here in another month or two. Uh, we had another class a few years ago, and these men are changing, changing the prison because they're now professionally trained. They can preach. They know how to love. They know how to, dis, you know, disciple people, break down God's word, teach and preach. It's, it's an amazing thing. So we do all these things. Um, I will tell you, here, here, here's another thought on this whole thing. We measure the output on economic capital. We are fastidious at measuring net operating income. We want to maximize that the best we can because we think that's being good stewards. So we measure output on economic capital. We measure input 
on social and spiritual capital. So we have lots of programs and what we are measuring is the amount of effort that we put into these men socially and spiritually. Uh, we plant, we water, but God causes the growth. So that's why we measure the inputs. And then of course, we, we see lots of output. We see men coming to Christ. We see church attendance improving. We see family life improving. There's all these stories that we get that are really the output, but we don't start with them. So what has been the most rewarding part of all of this for you? Yes. It's to see men who have no hope, who are living in a desert of human flourishing, flourish. And it's amazing to me to see how a man that has murdered someone and who is hard, very hard, uh, become tenderized, understand the value of work, understand the value of hard work, um, grab, uh, grab on to the, the, the self-esteem and the self-discipline it takes to become a person who can be, he can be proud of himself as it were. And so to see a, to see a man, uh, what he gets through work is amazing. And then to put him with other men and they socially interact and they become a family, they become a family with us and they learn to get along, okay, is amazing. And then the the icing on the cake is if they come to Christ and we see a lot of them do that. So um, if you if you have ever spent much time in a, in a maximum security prison, it is a desert of human flourishing. But then if you walk 200 feet away and walk into our business that's located in that prison, you, you go from a desert to this flourishing oasis of jobs and people and Jesus and just terrific things. Wow, that's, that's incredible. Uh, I, I love yeah. that. You know, Daniel, um, I, get, uh, I get text messages on a regular basis from men that have gotten out. Our recidiv the men that have gone through our program, the recidivism rate is about 7% uh, compared to 70% nationwide. So it's just a huge turnaround for these men. Yeah, that's incredible. All right. So would you share a little bit more about how you can, how you see business create flourishing in the world? How can we use business to, to create more flourishing in the world? Yes. So I think um, you 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 have to have this paradigm shift that is not just about the money. Okay. Um, you have to say it's about economic, social, and spiritual capital. Those are a we we have a framework with a triangle. And we believe those have to be in balance in some sense, okay? So I think there are three kind of states of being that we all reside in. One is what I'm going to call poverty, and that is no money, no job, or no Jesus, okay? The second state of being is wealth, and that is enough money, enough friends, and K-N-O-W, no Jesus, okay? The problem with wealth is it becomes insidious. And this is particularly true for business people. Um, when we get a little, we want a little bit more, either because of fear or greed. 
if you go to the parable of the talents, uh, the, the guy that got one and buried it, he was fearful and he buried it in the bottom of his tent, right? He was fearful. Um, uh, Luke 12, the, um, you, you know, the parable of the rich young ruler, the, the rich young entrepreneur, as it were, all right? He said, gosh, I've had a great crop. My barns are full. What will I do? I know I'll tear them down. I'll build bigger barns. I'll eat, drink, and be merry. And what did Jesus tell him? You fool. Tonight, your life will be called from you. So in business, if we only focus on money, uh, it becomes insidious. And so to move, we, uh, we're, we're either in poverty, we don't have enough, or we have wealth, we have enough money, enough friends, and we K-N-O-W Jesus. But if you want to flourish, moving from wealth to flourishing, poverty, wealth, flourishing, flourishing is the third state. The difference between wealth and flourishing is when we take our money and we we give it away, we become generous with it. We take our relationships and we become generous with those. We don't just get our best friends together and have a Super Bowl party. We get our best friends together and we go in the community and we make a difference. That's the difference between wealth and flourishing. And we don't just K-N-O-W Jesus, but we, we abide in him. We share him. He becomes a part of our life. And the difference between wealth, which I define as ownership, and flourishing is stewardship. But the difference there is, is described in Matthew 25, the parable of the ta talents. The servants who got five and two talents, it said they took it and immediately put it to work. When you take that money, when they took those talents and put it to work, they took risk. So what we have to do as business people, and we're used to doing this because we're, we're successful in business because we manage risk, okay? We want to mitigate as much risk as possible. That is the best business strategy we can do. But I think what we need to do is we need to look at our money, our relationships, and our relationship with Jesus and take risk with those. And that is how we move from being the proverbial successful wealthy business to what God would call a flourishing business because we are we're taking risk with our economic, social, and spiritual capital. I use the term capital versus wealth, okay? Wealth is what you need, wealth is what you need uh, to live on. But what we if you're going to move from wealth to flourishing, you have to ask the question, how much is enough? Because if you, if, if because of fear of greed, we keep moving the number up or how much is enough, we'll never give anything away. So that's why we have to set, in some sense, a finish line. And if you set that finish line, then you can be give, giving money away. You can become, and you can invest in your employees. You can start treating them. What can I do to make them the, all that God wants them to be? And then we can begin, begin sharing the good news with them too. And I just think that's really, really important. So you mentioned a couple of them, but what are some other challenges of moving from wealth to flourishing? I think you mentioned fear and greed being two of them. Can you share yeah. some other ones? Yeah. You know, Daniel, I think I, I've thought about this a, a bit, not a lot, but a bit. And I think it really boils down to those two. Everything we do, uh, that wants us to hoard, wants us to um, 
wants us to do what the what the rich young ruler did, build more barns, is either out of fear or greed. Those are really the two drivers in, in, in our lives. And we have to come up, overcome both of those to really be where we want to be. Um, yeah, I, I, as I look at my life, it's either fear or greed that has driven me to do things that were unhealthy. So how have you overcome fear? I'm going to go back to the analogy of success, significance, and surrender. And I think God wants us surrendered and not successful. And once again, the way we get from success to surrender, the way we get from wealth to flourishing, as it were, is this thing called faith. Uh, you see, wealth, in some sense, I think is success and wealth is defined in First John. A 2, 15, 16. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, possessions, the lust of his eyes, pleasure, and the boasting of what he hasn't as pride comes not from the Father, but from the world. Pride, pleasure, and possessions are driven by success. And if we want to go to surrender, pride has to turn to service to others. Uh, Pleasure has to turn to excellence for God, and possessions has to turn to stewardship of what he's given us. But the way we get there is through Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith, faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if we're going to move from success to surrender or from wealth to flourishing, it's a matter of faith. And we have to step out and do some things that we're not comfortable with. Now, if you've made the commitment to live a surrendered life or a flourishing life, and you're and you're presently over here in success or wealth, God will get you there one way or another. He'll get you there voluntarily or involuntarily. And trust me, you don't want to go the involuntary route. I've been there and done that. Okay. I think there's one other situation here. If we kind of look at the success versus surrender thing, I think uh, success is the world, surrender is the kingdom. What I'm really good at doing is living with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. And it's significance. It's the middle one. Remember, success, significance, or surrender. I'm great at being significance. The problem with significance is, I have one foot in the world, and I have one foot in the kingdom. And here's what God says about that. Revelation 3.15. Um, I wish that you were either um, successful or surrendered, hot or cold. But no, you're lukewarm. You're significant. And I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. That's good. I Yeah, I haven't heard it explained that way, but I really like that. And, you know, it it reminds me of James where he talks about, you know, the, the person that is uh, a double-minded man and he's got, you know, sometimes he trusts in the Lord. Sometimes he trusts in the world, but it's like, you know, when I first read that, I was like, oh, that doesn't apply to me because, you know, I'm, I'm trusting God at least sometimes, but that's exactly what he's saying is like, no, yeah, you do sometimes trust in God, but sometimes you trust in the world and the things of this world. Yeah, that that's exactly right. Double-minded. <laughs> place to be. 
Exactly. All right. So I, I've got another one here. What is the greatest misconception about money that you've seen? Uh, that it'll solve all our problems. If I just had a little more money, everything would be fine. And I think just go to the grocery store and pick up the latest tabloid. And who are all the people with the problems on the faces? That, it's all the people that are rich. And you know, they're in all kinds. Look at the lottery statistics. You know, like 80 or 90% of the people that win the lottery lose it all. And they're the most miserable people in the world. Most of them would say, I wish I would have never won that. And so I think money is very dis deceptive, to very deceitful. Let's go back to wealth versus flourishing for a minute. I think wealth is gathering money and we need, there's a place to gather. That's what we work for. But we have to answer the question, how much is enough? That's kind of what is I, what's needed for my sustenance in some sense. Okay. And then if you really want to flourish, you have to scatter. Wealth is gathering. Flourishing is scattering. And guess what happens when we scatter? We have to, that seed has to die. We have to die to the money thing. And it goes on the ground, but when it dies and it goes in the ground and it lands in fertile soil, what happens? It's 30, 60, or 100x. And then guess what? You gather some more and then you scatter again. I think it's this cycle of gathering and scattering, scattering. Um, it's and it's and we just have to pray like crazy that greed or fear doesn't interrupt the cycle. So how do we determine how much is enough? Yeah. I just I'll just tell you my story and then I I I think we're all looking for a, a formula and I don't think there is a formula, okay? But uh 25 years ago, I went to a business conference and one of the speakers asked us the question, how much is enough? And I was there with four other entrepreneurs who were pretty good friends. We all walked out in the hallway after the talk and began to ask each other, well, how much is, how much is your enough amount? And we did, none of us had an answer. So two months later, we all flew into Raleigh, North Carolina and spent two days answering the question, how much is enough? So Sunday noon rolled around and it was a net worth number, we thought, okay? So we all went around and somebody said, 2 million, 5 million, 10 million, whatever, you know. When I get to that, I'm done. And here's how sophisticated we were. All we'd done is take the, all we'd done is taken the interest, we'd taken our lifestyle and just say it was $100,000 to make it easy. And we divided it by the risk-free rate, 5%. So we needed $2 million. And that's how we came up with our was enough. Had nothing to do with what would God want. It was all about how do we sustain our lifestyle? Okay. And so some wise soul at the end of that said, well, why don't, if we're really serious about this, why don't we get together every year? Let's bring our personal financial statements and hold each other accountable to our how much is enough number. So we started doing that annually. It wasn't three or four years and we'd all blown through our how much is enough number. Now, we were all entrepreneurs and they was, these were all privately held companies, okay? So how do I give away my privately held company? And we tried various scenarios and 
this and that. Nothing really worked. In that discussion that year, somebody said, you know, I don't think it's a net worth number. I think it's a lifestyle number. I think the how much how much is enough is a lifestyle number, not a net worth number. And that was so freeing for us because why is the first two million or five million mine? Isn't a zero mine and a hundred his? Well, if it's a hundred his, and God's given me the ability to make create wealth, then why don't I let that? Why don't I use? Why stop that? skill? Why stop that creativity? Why not make as much as I can and steward it well for him? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to cap my lifestyle. So the second number we all came up with was a lifestyle amount. So when we then committed to a certain lifestyle and everybody's just let their net, their net worse, quote unquote, run. But what has happened to the kingdom out of that and for the kingdom is amazing. So for me, it's a middled up or middle class lifestyle. And uh, I, I've never taken a dividend out of our businesses. I've taken a salary. I get a three or 4% bump every year. And I just know what I'm living on. I don't go from 100,000 to 200 to 500 to a million. You know, it's just, we're, we're kind of at this, hundred thousand plus number and we we and it's a and we're not we're not suffering because of that at all i still at times feel guilty about my lifestyle and it's not nearly what it could be but it's i still i think it's a good thing to once a year and once again this i think is important for a personal plan once a year you can sit down and say is my life am i being how much should I be paid to manage the assets God's given me? That's the how much is enough number. Wow. I like that. And uh, there are many years I'm being overpaid, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. I like that. So how much am I being paid to manage God's money? Yes, that's the how much is enough number. And I think it's you should have a savings account. You should have a retirement. All that stuff is great, but do you really need millions upon millions? Probably not. Right. It's easy to trust in money when you have, have more than enough. All right. So looking at your story, what would you say is maybe one of the key things that helped you move from success to significance to flourishing? Were there any maybe peak moments or different events or different people in your life that really moved the needle, I guess? If yes. Uh, this is very interesting because I've, uh, I'm 71. And so uh, I had, I, first of all, I believe there are several significant events in my life and they happened at the, at, when I changed decades Every time I change into a new decade at 20, 30, 40, 50, every time there was a traumatic thing that God used to reshape my life. Okay. And I think you need, it may not happen at 20, 30, and 40 for you. It may be 43, 47, whatever, but God uses events. And I'm going to go back to your James, uh, the book of James. Consider pure joy, brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, knowing the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Let perseverance have its perfect result that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So number one, when you encounter trials, embrace them and say, Lord, teach me so I can be better the next time. When I've done that, it's worked great. So embrace trials. Number two, um, mentors have played an, a huge part in my life. I ha I've had two mentors, one for 40 years, one for 45 years, if you couldn't believe this. At the age of 25, I read a book that said, one, you need a personal plan, and two, you need somebody to hold you accountable to it. So I started asking around town. I was new in town. I said, who, are, who is the top Christian business guy in town? And two names kept coming to the top. So I just called them up and said, could you go to lunch with me? And both of them I asked right on the spot, would you mentor me? One I met with every month for 45 years. Uh, the other I met with quarterly for almost 40 years. Uh, both these men passed away in the last six months. The value, the wisdom, the encouragement, from those two men, um, they are where they are a huge part of uh, why I'm where I'm at. So I just I believe you should have some older mentors because they will give you a look at what is going. To, you know, they're going to give you a historical look at life because they're older than you. I would have a peer mentor, and I'd ask their advice as well because they're going to give you a real time look at where you are. And then I'd have some younger mentors. I've got two. One's my son, and one's another young man that I highly respect. They're a generation behind me. They give you a look at the future. They keep you young. And so I really love this older mentor, peer mentor, and younger mentor. Now, I'm getting to the age where there's not a lot of guys older than me, so I'm going to be on my own for, for the older guys here. But uh I also, I, I, here's another thought, Daniel. Uh, zero to 25 is learning. 25 to 50 is doing. 50 to 75 should be teaching and passing it on. And as my one mentor said, 75 on is just hanging on. <laughs> but I really think there are stages of life, and you need to embrace those. And when you're 25 to 50, you're in the doing stage. Get in there and make it happen. Now, my problem was I didn't stop doing till I was 65. So I overran things about 15. <laughs> so I'm a little behind the, the teaching and passing it on. But I'm trying to make up for that. What I'm hoping is that, you know, uh, if I started uh, uh, teaching at 65, God will let us see. That let me get to 90 before yeah. I start hanging on. There you go. Perfect. Got it all worked out. All right. So before we go into the mentor minute, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Gosh, I would just, um, you know, I would, I would encourage you if encourage you if you're an individual to make sure you understand what your purpose is. And I believe that's to, to honor God. I would make sure that you're passionate about serving, being excellent and being a good steward. And then I would just really encourage you, make sure that your plat, don't confuse your platform with your purpose. Your platform is simply the venue that God's given you to live out your purpose and your passions. And if you're in business, I think it is 
the next great venue that God's going to use to, to change a lot of hearts for him. So I'd include you there. Yeah, that's good. That's very good. All right. Mentor Minute. Who is the most influential person that you know and how have they impacted you? Uh, his name would be Bill Nath. Bill is five years my senior. He's my brother by another mother. Uh, I look at his life and he embodies what I want to be. He uh, runs his business. Uh, in fact, I will tell you, his business philosophy, I was in the banking business and I got to know him and I walked into his business. He was an entrepreneur. And right there on the wall, he had four values. Honor God, serve people, pursue excellence, steward capital. And I saw that and I said, Bill, can I steal your values? And he said, you bet you can. And so for 50 years, Bill and I have just been um, walking through life together is terrific. Wow. So would he be your running partner? Yes. One of them? That's good. Yes. He would be my peer mentor while he's five years older. He's still close enough to me that I'd consider him a peer. Yeah. So he's a brother by another mother. That's excellent. And then what is a book or podcast that we should listen to or read? The, the number one book has got to be God's Word. I'll just tell you that, okay? Um, I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but I do read. Um, I subscribe to several uh, secular and, you know, even Christian um summary books, book summaries, etc. So I'm trying to read like five summary books a week. And I, uh, I focus on um, economic truths. So I love the Wall Street Journal and some of that. I, uh, to figure out kind of socially where things are, I love World Magazine. I think they give me a great perspective. And then um, so there, there's, I try to keep abreast economically of what's going on, socially what's going on, and, and then just spiritually, uh, of course, God's word, you know, uh, uh, spiritual leadership has been a, a, a really important thing. I think some of the old books, uh, like, uh, there are books, I think maybe one of the most impactful books in my life, okay, has been um, some of the books by Zig Ziglar. And I know he's very, um, you know, he's a very leadership motivational guy. And there's, at times, not a lot of scripture in there, but it's all packed with scriptural principles. And as a young person, um, just reading some of Zig and some of those types of folks, I think they compared to where we are now in, in our world, everything is so negative. And I think we need to start encouraging people and looking, uh, you know, just how can we lift each other up a bit and be more encouraging? And I think that's a really big thing. Yeah, that's good. 
All right. And then what is the number one lesson in leadership that you have learned? Uh, connected leaders bring vision, humility, and courage to a team effort. Mm. The vision to see what should be done, the humility to believe it can only be done with the help of God and others, and the courage to persevere until it is done. I love it. Love yeah. it. Thank you. And thank you for coming on the podcast. This has been an excellent episode. How can we be praying for you and your family? Yes. So uh, I am, um, I'm probably busier than I've ever been in my life at 71. And I, and I like that and I don't want that to end, but I also want to be balanced. I've got a, I've got a wife who I still need to be, who needs to be number one in my life. And I've got nine grandkids who um, I want to spend time with because that's really the legacy there. So to, to, to balance this, uh, uh, to balance relationships with wife and kids and still have this desire to do in business, but yet to finish strong and be able to teach I think that this work-life balance would probably be the biggest uh, challenge I'm, I'm facing. And in some sense, I shouldn't be facing that at my age, but it's a great problem to have. All right. Well, let me pray for you right now. Thank you. God, I thank you and praise you for Pete and just his desire to honor you and everything that he does. Lord, I pray for his family right now. I pray that uh, that you'd help him to invest well in the relationships with his grandchildren, with his children, uh, with his wife. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would keep him in your word, keep him uh, walking with you every day. And I just, I just thank you for him and for the impact that he has had on so many lives and just how he has pointed so many people to you and just the, uh, the stories that he's shared, the wisdom that he has shared. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that you would continue to give him, uh, give him time to invest in your kingdom, invest in these relationships. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. And we thank you for our listeners in Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of the Kingdom Investor Podcast. And thank you, Pete. We'll see you next time. What if you could take your generosity to the next level? impacting more lives in your community and around the world, creating a godly legacy for generations to come. Now you can. Your first step is crafting your kingdom investing thesis. Reserve your spot in our next online workshop where we guide you through the process of discovering your passions, create a strategic plan, and connect you to opportunities that will help you fulfill your God-given calling as a kingdom investor. Register today by clicking the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kingdom Investor Podcast.